Welcome to Generating Demand, real stories from the B2B trenches, where we tell you our secrets, like how to establish thought leadership, or rock your webinar registrations, and tips and tricks to drive sales-ready leads. Lean in, listen, and learn. We've got you covered. This podcast is brought to you by Virtual Intelligence Briefing. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Generating Demand, Stories from the B2B Trenches. My name is Amanda McGuckin-Hager. I'm the host of the podcast, and this podcast is sponsored by Virtual Intelligence Briefing. I'm here today with our guest, Jamie Feigenbaum, who is the Demand Generation Manager of the software RFPIO, based in Portland, Oregon area. Jamie, hi, welcome. Hi, Amanda. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. We were just talking a few minutes ago. Um, I loved your background. Do you want to share a little bit about your background and how you ended up in demand generation? Absolutely. Um, I think I had a sort of an unusual path into marketing in the first place. Um, I was a biology major in college. Um, and then I was going to get a, my PhD in psychology and realized that sort of late in the game, actually, that I didn't want to because I realized that what I loved about biology was systems. And I mm -hmm. ended up instead getting a degree, starting a degree program in sociology, where you study the full systems and the experiences of living in places and you zoom in and you zoom out. And um, when I realized that I wasn't going to be a professor, I started to take other jobs and realized sort of backed my way into marketing, uh, something that excited me. And then as I explored marketing, I realized that demand generation and campaign planning was really where people were zooming in and out of systems and creating these experiences that I had studied on the streets of urban centers. Um, those micro, that energy you get when you walk down the city street, um, or then you zoom out in those skylines and the high rises and you see, so, so both forest and tree, but also the really like lived experience of it and demand generation marketing kind of pulled all of that together for me. You know, I get it. I see it as I can relate to that. Um, it makes a lot of sense to me. There is a lot of zooming in on tiny little details and then zooming out on big picture. Um, I too was an English major. I was a liberal arts major. Um, but one of the things that I love about marketing is that art and science. There is a lot of science and I never really realized how much math I loved until I got into marketing. Um, Absolutely. Well, yeah, it's it's this beautiful place where psychology and sociology and English and words, I, I mean, the magic that you could give someone a CTA as a combination of words and make them take an action to me feels so powerful as a marketer. <laughs> I totally get it. I totally get it. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad we get to share your story. So we were talking a little bit before uh, recording and and uh, I really loved your story. You have a story to share with us um, about something that works, a success story uh, in the short term and maybe not successful in the long term, which I think many marketers can relate to. So I'm excited to share. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Um, so a couple of years ago, I was working um, at an agency and one of my clients was a an AI technology for hiring at scale. So their main market was 
um, specifically hiring managers, but not hiring managers who like you or I might know in a small, like there was a regular HR team, but ones who were tasked with hiring, you know, 500 people at once. And you normally find those, my cousin is actually one of them. You normally find mm -hmm. them for big firms or big banks. And these are people who are hiring right out of college. So people don't necessarily have a lot of resume information you can go on to try and determine if they would be good at this job. And so this company was selling um, an AI way of identifying people based on personality traits. So people would take a quiz um, and then- and I wanna unpack that a little bit for the audience because um, if you think about it, like if you put yourselves in the shoes of a recruiter that is tasked with going out and hiring 500 people at a time, and you're you know flipping to the marketer side of we need to go find and target recruiters who are tasked with hiring 500 people at a time that is not necessarily something that you can get out of a database like you can get geography or vertical or you know a company size either by employee count or by revenue those are the types of uh, criteria targeting criteria that you can get from databases or from the internet quite easily. Um, but uh, how do you find, you know, companies that are on big hiring sprees? Mm -hmm. that, that's the, that was the challenge set before you, is that right? Yeah, they, they hide in industries. So we did, we were able to target specific industries. Um, those who, companies, um, I guess I can name a few, like, um, accountants tend to get sort of hired this way. So like PwC, Ernst & Young, um, price, um, other other large financial firms, banks do this. They'll do it with a bunch of like junior tellers all at once or um, they look for their, they ex the companies exist, but finding the ones that might be um, cutting edge enough to incorporate AI technology into their hiring process that was sort of unique, I'd say. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That yeah. sounds like a big challenge. Yeah, because I think a lot of these recruiters go with their gut. They know, they have a sense of who they've hired before and they just sort of look for more like that. And here was an AI technology that said, um, we can quiz the people who you would be trying to hire and figure out which ones have actually performed best for your company. And then we can help you find more of those faster so that you're not actually it sort of takes the resume out of the whole experience which also mm -hmm. has a lot of like equity um like you know diversity and equity um hiring practices sort of built into a model like that which i think was like um even ahead of its time because this was a couple of years ago yeah yeah well so how so this is the objective set before you and then uh you were able to target you know, by vertical a bit. Mm -hmm. um, but then what did you do? Well, so I was brought in as part of an agency to help them generate marketing qualified leads. They were looking for MQLs and they came in with a, a pretty lofty MQL goal and they didn't really have too much content. I mean, this was a pretty, this was a startup where I was also helping them a lot with their operations. Like we were still really struggling with like, how do we get the workflows to work? Um, but they had some research um, some data that went against what I, what we assumed most recruiters would have assumed. 
So when I say that, I mean, um, most, if you were hiring a bunch of sales reps, you might think that someone who was really good at, um, at talking, someone with a silver tongue would be, would be the ideal person. And so recruiters were looking for young people, entry level people who were really good talkers. And of course okay. that's, can be an important attribute, but here this personality test actually revealed that it was other skills that really led to the most successful sales salespeople across the board. Um, and so we had this, a few data points on a few different types of jobs, and we were able to turn that into an interactive quiz. So rather than putting out a white paper or a blog, we thought it would be sort of fun to send out this quiz, sort of cold email style or through ads to recruiters and hiring managers in those verticals that we'd already identified as likely to be hiring at scale. And um, in the middle of the, so, cause we thought it would surprise them. We thought it'd be, you know, this is a fun, like sort of Buzzfeed style quiz. Mm -hmm. Lighthearted um, and easy and quick. Super lighthearted, we had really fun graphics. It felt like the UX of it was like, it felt uh, the UI of it, I mean, felt really like fresh. Um, it didn't feel stale or clunky or any of that. We really made sure that it felt fun and conversational too. And in the middle of the quiz, in between when they said what they thought the right answer would be and when we would reveal that they were that they were actually probably missing the mark, the majority of them did get it wrong, which I think is an important note to, to leave on. But um, in the middle, we would ask this company's one MQL qualifying question, which was, how many people do you hire a year? And if they hired 500 plus, then they would be sent to sales. And if they it was lower than that, then they would probably not be bothered. They would just be nurtured through marketing a little bit longer, um, or sent some blog updates as they happened, et cetera. You know, we nurture people. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was sort of fun because in the middle, we were qualifying them. And because the quiz was so light and the topic was sort of fun, we ended up blowing through their MQL goal that we'd been given. Nice. Um, and that felt so good. Like there was, I mean, <laughs> it's I, a bet. Good, I mean, you work with clients. It's wonderful when you get to like achieve their goals with them. Like the, the energy is just so high. Yeah. Well, I, I have been in situations where the MQLs that the team, my team and I created drove 50% or more of the revenue every quarter. And it was so rewarding to get up in front of the company and report out on our results. Like it's just, it feels so good to be successful to meet and or exceed MQL goals. So I can imagine that that was something to celebrate for sure. Absolutely. And it felt so good that you could imagine, I mean, we talked about how this is a success story that that sort of turned into a long-term like, eh, not, I'm not gonna call it a failure, but by metric standards, yes. Um, <laughs> um, because those MQLs, really didn't go anywhere. Um, and so we had this moment, these moments of elation. Um, and then we just watched as sales sales rejected lead after lead after lead. And we started to realize, and this is a big moment for me, working for an agency and working with clients and realizing that like this MQL definition wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. It wasn't actually it had been created in a world where these leads were maybe inbound and coming to us and absorbing more content and eventually filling out a form. And then they were deserving of sales time if they 
seemed like they were hiring enough people, but just answering that qualification question in an outbound way through in the middle of a light quiz that attracted more people than might have actually been interested in this company and this company's philosophy on hiring is kind of a bust. Yeah, I think that's a really uh, common challenge that a lot of marketers experience. And um, I have heard a number of stories of MQLs that are poorly defined and or they're, they're really not an MQL, right? Um, or it's a, it's a bad definition. Um, in my experience, an MQL is defined as showing buying intent and an, a strong MQL uh, not only shows buying intent, but the definition is also agreed upon and supported by the sales team because they're the ones receiving these um, after they go over the fence. And so it sounds to me in your example, in your story, that maybe those were not truly MQLs. Maybe they were just names to be added to the database. Absolutely. We should have just been nurturing probably all of those to the point of we needed to change the whole scoring mechanism, really. We needed to change the whole definition. And we really needed more um, alignment between marketing and sales to even say this is someone who's worth sales time. Because this was a small startup. They were very nimble and very successful, to be perfectly honest. Um, but the sales team was small. And they didn't have time to field these 500 plus leads we'd brought into them. And to have each one of them just sort of fall to the wayside was just honestly quite difficult to to handle when you're rooting for a company like this. Um, yeah. You so bring really, up, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say you bring up a really good point in understanding the sales capabilities and, um, you know, their willingness and or ability to follow up on all the leads created is a huge component to that definition. And and all of this is right where marketing meets sales. It's the heart of demand generation, in my opinion. Um, and it's so critical to be aligned on both sides of the fence. Um, so yeah, I just I just wanted to drive that home for the audience. It's, it's such a great point that you're making. And I think MQLs already get a bad rap um, in marketing. But the truth of the matter is, especially if you have a healthy inbound system, having a strong MQL definition that is enough to get a sales rep's attention is really, really important because otherwise you're sort of closing the door on really a lot of opportunity. Mm -hmm. And as a demand gen marketer, isn't that the worst when it makes my heart sad when marketers drive a bunch of truly qualified demand that sales cannot follow up on either from capacity or, or uh, willingness. Um, nobody likes demand generated that falls flat on the floor. It's just a, it's a total losing proposition for everyone. Absolutely. And so I sort of vowed at that point to try and reverse engineer almost everything I'd learned about marketing to that point <laughs> to try and figure out how do we, how do I do this better in the future? And one of my questions and one of the things that I would counsel any even entry level sales rep to ask is what is your MQL definition when you're in an interview at a new company to understand sort of what types of leads will be thrown your way. Um, mm -hmm. And as a demand generation marketer, it's always the first, one of the first questions I ask is how do we define what's qualified? Because it really tells you how much work needs to be done at each stage of the game. Yeah. I think that's such a critical conversation and it's so smart of you to ask that right out of the gate. I think um, 
in your story, I'm, I'm struck by the people that were considered MQLs, which really may only be leads, that they might be, they're definitely the right people because they've responded and, and, and those responses show they're the right people, but it may be the wrong time in their buying cycle. And I think that's the difference between a lead and an MQL. An MQL is the right person and the right time in their buying cycle versus a lead, which is definitely, you know, maybe the right person, or I'm sorry, it is the right person, but maybe the wrong time in their buying cycle. And then if you even go up or funnel, you have a prospect, or I've heard of them called suspects, or even, you know, just names in the database. Mm -hmm. I define as those are uh, maybe the right people. They may not be the right people, and they may be the right people. So anyway, I just wanted to share that. Um, but yeah, I think your story is uh, is co so common across demand gen. I think most demand gen marketers can relate to that story and and, and the definition or lack thereof of of a strong MQL. And and I mean, I think it is one of the. I work closely with sales teams now. I think I learned part of that from my experience with this client. Um, and now that I'm in house, it's even more important to me. Mm -hmm. um, and really just making sure that there is that alignment that we agree and having, um, if you if your organization doesn't have, um, an alignment. So, um, um, Amanda, please remind me what they're called. Like, I want to call it an SAL, but I know it's an SLA and then I forgot what it stood for. Oh, so, you know, companies call them different all over. Some are SAL, which stands for sales accepted lead. Some call it a sales SQL, a sales qualified lead. Oh, I meant the, like the agreement between marketing and sales. Oh, I think you said it right. The SLA. Yeah. So I think having a strong agreed upon definition in your SLA of what an MQL is and how they should be treated after they come through, how to understand mm -hmm. what brought them there to build a relationship with them for the sales rep is important. Um, and then on the, also just the fact that organizations as they grow need to be willing to relook at what that definition is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I know that what I have built demand gen engines from scratch a few times over now, the um, one of the flow charts that I always look for is the life of the lead. What happens at this stage? What happens at this stage? What happens when it crosses that threshold from marketing to sales? And then what's the sales process? Like, I want to know what are all the stages in the sales process? What, you know, what defines a 10% stage? What defines a 75% stage? What are the gate, uh, you know, the gates that prevent an opportunity from moving forward? Um, so yeah, I think as a demand gen marketer, it's critical to know that entire revenue path. Um, and to your point, uh, having that agreed upon alignment in the form of an SLA is hugely valuable. And I, and I mean, we talked a little bit about this before, just earlier today, the idea that really thinking about how your sales process is, ex your marketing and sales processes are experienced from the leads perspective. What is their experience? Because they aren't following your demand generation strategy. They are experiencing it. And that becomes part of their perception of your brand. And so that's, to me, one of those places where demand and brand come together is in that experience all the way through from the first moment upper funnel to 
hopefully closing the deal and then into customer marketing too. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking earlier and, and uh, while I just spoke to what is the internal process for the life of a lead all the way through, I loved what you said earlier uh, prior to us recording about, you know, looking at it from the leads perspective, what, what is the lead experiencing at every step along the way and asking yourself, I thought what you said was so great. What do you ask yourself when you do that? Um, I always think about it from the lead perspective and I say, and then what, um, what is the next thing? What is their next expectation and how do you meet it? How do you not, um, how do you maybe celebrate it with them if it's something worth celebrating? Um, and then just how do you not violate their expectations? They're coming to you. How do you give them a good experience? So my, every time I plan a campaign or any experience, I always try to think about it from the leads perspective of how they would experience it. And I say, okay, and then what, and then what, and then what, and I try to sort of walk through it, um, as if I were them in their shoes. Right. Which yeah. I thought it's such an astute, uh, perspective on demand gen. Um, and I'll say that, you know, so many marketers, uh, CMOs and, you know, high level marketing leaders now, uh, own customer experience. I know that I do, um, with virtual intelligence briefing. And so doing that exercise with all of the activities is, is really critical. If indeed you are the owner of the customer experience, then understanding and knowing what that experience is every step of the way is, um, you know, table stakes that, that needs to happen. So awesome, Jamie. Well, it's been so fun chatting with you. And uh, we've come to this point in our podcast where I ask all of our guests to share some resources that they have found successful, you know, they have found valuable in their rise of their career and or, you know, in their career development and career growth and or in uh, bettering their skills um, and fine tuning their, their career skills and, and, uh, and so forth. So my question to you, do you have any resources to share with us today? Absolutely. Um, so I have been a podcast listener, so I know that other people have already mentioned resources like HubSpot, where you can find just so much content and templates, just enough to get you going. And really they have a full theory of marketing, which is very helpful for someone like me who likes to understand how they fit within not just marketing organizations, but whole company organizations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I second that. HubSpot is the source and they have put out so much content for free, uh, everything from reporting to templates to theory to um, their academy, all of it. Excellent resource. Um, I would also say marketing profs. They're a whole, they've built themselves out over the years as I've been following them, but they always give me just that little extra spark of inspiration when I need it. They're one of the first places I turn to, to just get a new idea. Um, and yeah. they were actually recommended to me by um, one of the first people who became a, a marketing mentor to me as I went through my career transition from being a graduate student, essentially, to trying to figure out how do I get into marketing. Um, her suggestion to me was check out marketing profs. And I found that very, very valuable early on in my career. That is huge. Um, I marketing profs is one that I've been following for a long time. Um, and it continues to grow with me right from when I was an entry level marketer through, uh, the leader that I am today. So I love that there's something in there for everyone. Absolutely. And then, um, and that's also, they have a part, a paid version and a free version, which I think is wonderful. Um, when it comes to paid resources, um, 
I'm, I learn well in structures like learning paths. So um, I've had leaders who have been kind enough to invest in me and get me serious decisions training courses. And while they can be, um, they are an investment in a person, um, I've found them to be very, very valuable. And they actually have a theory on how to qualify, how to define your MQL, which I've often cite when I start thinking about questions like with the one we talked about today. Yeah, for those out there that haven't heard of serious decisions, it's spelled with an I, serious, um, S-I-R-I-U-S. Yes, thank you, I-U-S. Um, and they too have great resources. Uh, they put out some free content. Of course, you can subscribe and pay for some of their courses and maybe get your employer to help you with that, that cost. Um, but that is another classic go-to. So those are excellent. And then if, you, if you're interested in that handoff between marketing and sales and how the whole experience fits together, one place where I've found a lot of value is in a book, and it's actually a sales book, and it's called Conversations That Win the Complex Sale. And as a demand generation marketer, thinking about how that sales process works too has been really, really valuable for me. And and seeing, seeing things from sales perspective, one, and two, trying to seed a relationship that will go well in a sales process through marketing. Yeah, that's, I think, um, such a great uh, idea. And, and, you know, thank you for sharing that specific resource. Um, sales is a demand generation marketers internal customer right? Of course, we deal with the market at large and our companies, prospects and customers, but internally the sales team is our number one customer. And so understanding what their challenges are and what their objectives are um, and, and helping them in the work that we, we do from a demand generation perspective um, to make their lives easier, I think is, is really being a true partner. So that's such a great idea and such a great resource. Thank you. You're welcome. I mean, not to not to run us over in time, but um, one of the things I found that book incredibly helpful when we were starting to think about account-based marketing and account-based mm -hmm. strategies at a previous job because content in the sales cycle is really hard. Uh, content, yeah, content in the sales cycle is really hard to personalize at scale mm -hmm. um, yeah. in meaningful yeah. ways. And one of the ways that a marketer who's doing a demand strategy that's account-based and outbound can really help their team with messaging from a salesperson if they know how to think and write like a salesperson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Jamie, I'm, I have a task in front of me to do some account-based marketing uh, in my <laughs> career, and I will go order that book right now so that I can, you know, make sure that the content that I'm writing is strong content. So I personally thank you. Um, and I know our guests will appreciate it as well, too. So thank Wonderful. you so much, Jamie. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you. Absolutely, Amanda. This has been great. And I look forward to future conversations with you. Um, at this time, we'll close the podcast. So thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have any questions, want to suggest topics, or have ideas for guest speakers, drop us a line at podcast at virtualintelligencebriefing.com. 
To learn more of our demand generation secrets, visit vibriefing.news or grab the link in our show notes.